right, hey, good stuff, man. Come on, we're back. How we doing? We doing good? Good stuff. It's good. Uh, my wife is up here joining me. Thank you for that one person that clapped. She was right here, the dance major that can't dance. No, no, I'm not going to say that. Stop it. I, I mean, you know, you, know what, you know what the problem is? He's just that good. So by the time that we're done, I just I want to see some of that. There, but uh, I don't see him coming, so we're, we're talking about him while he's out here. But um, well, hey, listen, I, I just um, you know as we do these conferences, uh, uh, Jody joins me, and uh, she's got much wisdom, and uh, just grateful to have her here. And what we're going to do in this session is we're going to talk about choice number two. So we're going to go through probably four choices in the book, and um, just to give some overview. And and this one is about choosing to love unconditionally. And so we want to frame this session with two verses. I know you guys are a Bible church, and you guys lean on the Bible. You know, you got a great pastor who teaches you the Bible. I mean, we want to be secure in what the Bible says. And so the verses that I want to frame this in are 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. I love the version that says, love keeps no record of wrongs. And 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, which is actually a quote of the Old Testament that says, love covers a multitude of sin. And it does. And so how? Well, we want to share four lessons that we've learned. And honestly, we just want to open up our hearts to you today about loving unconditionally. And so we're going to pick up where we left off, which isn't easy, but it's pretty easy to summarize. Year one, crash and burn. I just told you about it. It was the worst. You can read more details on page 41 in the book. If you really want to know all the bad stuff, but but these are four lessons that we've learned. And so the first one is this, we're gonna just put it up on the screen, is we each need to make the choice to forgive. And so obviously us sharing our story and me talking about that, um, we've been there. And it's a process. And that's usually the, the question I get asked the most often is, um, how did you forgive Ron? And um, it's interesting because, you know, so far in this, some of you may have come here because you're just trying to enrich your marriage. Mm -hmm. That's an awesome place to be. And that speaks directly to the thing Ron talked about earlier about being intentional. And I love that you guys have done not one, but yeah. two marriages. So that just tells me that um, the priority that even yeah. your pastor and your church is putting on the marriage relationship. Um, but some, some of you might be here, and it is more of a restorative kind of thing. So we, we, we kind of try to hit both things. And the thing about forgiveness is that it hits both things. Because right. forgiveness is definitely necessary if you're in a situation where there has been a breakdown and there's some restoration that needs to happen. I guarantee there's forgiveness needs to happen. But forgiveness is also an, enri an enrichment thing because you get daily opportunities probably if you think about it to exercise forgiveness right. and learn to do it and learn to do it well. Um, but we're kind of approaching it. She had it. to exercise it with me on the way from the airport. So. <laughs> <laughs> so we hope that we'll hit both those things. But when I get asked that question, you know, how did you forgive Ron? I just remember um, I knew, I had a sense that I needed to forgive Ron um, pretty early on. So basically we went to this, you know, this meeting. And what ended up happening, is, as Ron mentioned, is we did end up um, making a, a faith decision to receive the forgiveness, you know, that only Christ offers. So that was really fresh. I had just been forgiven. And the one thing that I can say about that was a 45-minute meeting, this whirlwind, and I just remember that was the first time I felt like I actually was forgiven. 
And, and the difference was in that meeting, the gospel had been presented, I, and I believed for the first time that I was actually forgiven. And there was something different. I couldn't put my finger on it, but it was similar to Ron, as the, the weight had been lifted off. Um, but we left there still having no idea what was going to happen with the marriage. <laughs> um, in fact, I asked, and he says, I don't know what's going to happen with your marriage, but, you know, you've got a relationship with Jesus, and he's got a relationship, and, you know, work on that for a while. So, And that was a really honest thing. I'll never yeah. forget that as a pastor, that, hey, we don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what you're going to choose to do and what's going to happen. And so for the Q&A time, I don't know <laughs> what's going to happen in your relationship. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, you just don't know. But if we both make the choices we need to make, and that's the simplicity of this conference as we do it all over the place. It's we just took the Bible for face value. And we were naive enough to think that if we do what it says, God will bless it. And I got to be honest, he did. And we didn't know any different. We thought everybody was doing it. But it's not always the case. And it's the simplicity. And honestly, there's not a little secret. There's not that many verses on marriage in the Bible. And so honestly, you know, if we can do the things that God wants, he can restore. Absolutely. So I, I knew that I needed to forgive her. I had that sense. Um, but then, um, and the other, th oh, I think one of the reasons that we tend to hesitate on forgiving, uh, and this can go on like just for any kind of situation, but you tend to feel like if I, if I forgive, you feel like you're kind of losing that upper hand. Yeah. And um, for me, it was important to understand that there was two things I was not doing. And, and forgiveness is not saying, hey, what you did was okay, it's no big deal, um, especially in this case. Now, sometimes it maybe that is appropriate, but in, in, in this kind of situation, I was by no means saying, hey, what happened? Hey, it's okay, it's no big deal. Forgiveness doesn't say that. And, and make it like a cheap kind of thing, right? Um, it also isn't saying that, hey, you know, you know, this can probably happen again, no problem. Um, people get afraid that they're gonna become like some kind of doormat. Like if I forgive, then they're gonna take advantage and think they can just walk all over me. And, and I can remember, I was that kind of person. I was not gonna get like walked all over. I was, I was a business person. I had worked really hard to be, successful that's that was my idol that's what I was working toward and I was neglecting the marriage and um, so what happened is you know once you figure out you're not saying those things but what you are saying when you forgive is you're saying I am releasing you and this to God so now what you've done is because of that forgiveness that I had just received I, out of that, and that happened in an instant, let's face it, we were in that meeting, something happened, and I was forgiven. So I knew it was a decision. It was like a, something that could be a choice because I had just done it and experienced it. So then somehow that, that forgiveness I had just received, who am I to then hold it against? Some, you know, who am I? Like, and, and truthfully, the person we need to be forgiven, you know, you go to a Catholic priest and he might say, oh, your, your sin is absolved or whatever. But um, for the most part, Jesus is the only one that actually forgives, right? So you're releasing that person to God and you're just saying, I'm not going to hang this over your head. I'm not going to hold this against you anymore. I've, I've The same forgiveness that was applied to me, I'm applying to you. And so it really is kind of like a choice. But the, the bigger issue, so I can remember actually saying to the pastor, like, okay, you know, I can, I can do this. I know I need to forgive and I can do that, but I don't have to stay married to him, right? And that's really where I was at. And, you know, that was a fair question because, again, we didn't know what was going to happen at day three, four, five, week two, three, four. Um, 
but that was my question. So the bigger issue really at this point, and this is what I had said was like, you know, you can't have a, how can you have a marriage when there's no trust? So sometimes when trust gets broken, it can get broken a lot of different ways. Ours was a really kind of an extreme way, but it happens when you find out there's some sort of secret sin that's been going on for a while. Um, pornography is huge, and especially with the internet and the access, the, and the way that it comes at people. But there's a lot of different things. So maybe there's been some other kind of secret thing that's been going on for a long time. And um, I'm sorry. Well, it's about trust. And oh, yeah. so as you're sitting right. here tonight and you're thinking, our marriage isn't too bad. We weren't there where we were. <laughs> but it's, it's like this. I mean, maybe you came here tonight for, hey, we just need a little tune-up. Or you're like us and it's, the car's on the rack and it's like, you know, the engine's out and it's got to be rebuilt. I mean, forgiveness is really the oil that keeps the engine going in comes to marriage. It, like, you have to do it. And I think the uniqueness of what Jody's teaching tonight Okay, I know that as a Christian, I'm going to do it. Not saying it's easy, but it's really a matter if you're going to go forward, no matter if it's a major overhaul or if it's a minor thing, you know what? They did it again. He did this again. It's not something secret. I know it. You keep doing it. What's going on? I got to forgive you. It's a matter of trust. Mm -hmm. And so it's a matter of trust. The trust had to be rebuilt. And so that's, I think, the thing that we're talking about. And I can remember when I said that, like, hey, how can you have a marriage without trust? And um, he had asked me a question. He, the said, pastor, yeah. he said, so does, um, that's interesting. And he, I didn't really know the Bible, but he, he asked me anyhow. He said, um, so does the Bible say that we're supposed to trust one another? And I'm like, you know, <laughs> look at it. And I thought, no, I don't think so. And he's like, no, you're, you're absolutely right. He said, so, you know, really, um, why, you know, why do you think that might be? And I just said, well, because we're not trustworthy. And he's like, yeah, you know. So um, he was, the point he was making there was, okay, don't, you know, God's not asking you to trust Ron right now because the truth is, you know, we're not, not trustworthy, trustworthy right now. Right. And, um, and then he said, but, but what do you think the Bible says, you know, we are to, supposed to do with one another? You know, and he's kind of feeding me. And I knew love, you know, <laughs> and sure enough, you know, I got that one right. So, um, love one another. So what was really awesome, that was a really freeing moment for me because this trust thing was hanging over my head. And um, so now I didn't need to focus on trusting Ron. I just had Trust to focus God, on yeah. loving loving Ron. And then he said, who do you think the Bible tells you to trust? And then, you know, God. And he said, yeah. <laughs> so I left that day with a whole new game plan and it was really freeing because um, again, I've released, I've released Ron to God. God was going to do a work in Ron, and I had this sense that, you know, I'm going to, I'm getting answers now. Like I'm going to know what to do, and and what happens with him, and what happens with us, it's going to get played out over time. But I didn't have that weight of trusting, so I, I started working on, okay, I need to trust God, I need to love Ron, trust God, love Ron, and then I remember it took me like about two weeks of just <laughs> med- thinking about that, like because I didn't know if I trusted God because this was like a pretty harsh situation. <laughs> but I remember after two weeks, like I'd go on my runs in the morning, I'd be looking around, and then it, it just hit me that I, I knew I could trust him with anything. And so that was kind of the beginning. That's how we were able to move forward um, when we were in the, the deeper weeds. So. And you know, the issue we run into with most couples is forgiveness and trust. So no matter what the issue is, it's forgiveness, it's trust. And you know, Forgiveness and trust, it's like a muscle that needs to be exercised. 
Most homes, it's underdeveloped. Most homes, they don't know how to really forgive. Uh, Jody is famous in our home for as soon as you say this, I'm sorry, after our, one of our daughters just kicked the other and punched her or whatever it was, fighting in the back seat. I'm sure we've all had that as parents. And then the other one looks and says, I'm sorry. And then Jody looks and says, sorry is for accidents, like spilled milk. She, name it. That was wrong of me to do this. Please forgive me. Even with our kids. Like, I'm just telling you, that simplicity of, that's what the Bible teaches. Call the sin what it is. I mean, that's what leads to forgiveness so that trust can be rebuilt. Most homes, it's underdeveloped. They don't know how to reach it. They don't know how to teach it. They don't train it. They don't model it. Ruth Graham, I don't know why I'm quoting her twice. I just feel like I need to tonight. She said, a happy marriage is made up of two good forgivers. That's the muscle that you're going to exercise the most. So you got to train it the most. Second lesson as we talk about loving unconditionally, I want to open our hearts to you. We each need, this is so important, we each need to own our part of every problem or breakdown. So every breakdown, you need to own your part. Whether it's 50-50 or maybe it's 80-20, hey, it's only 20 on my part, or if it's 95-5, I don't care, you pick, whatever it is. But you need to own 100% of your part, 100% of your five, 100% of your 50. Whatever you think your part is, just multiply it times 10. Because it's usually you think, oh, it's not. Remember what Jesus said. Before you remove the speck from your spouse's eye. Oh, he didn't quite say it like that. But that's how we can apply it. Remember, like just some toolboxes. Some of the most common verses, as you continue to read them, read them with your spouse in mind in marriage. That application, I don't think is wrong. Before you remove the speck out of your spouse's eye, could you remove the log of your own? It's all about logs and specks. That's what it's about. Yeah, and I was, um, in, in this situation, we were sitting in that meeting, if we go back, um, and clearly I, I went there, my intention of... Clearly I meeting, had the log. Yeah, well, <laughs> I thought his thing, this is the problem right here. And I went there actually thinking I was going to get an okay for a divorce. So that was really the context of the meeting. The only reason we got the meeting, because he wasn't meeting with couples anymore, I had written down that I had to make a decision about a divorce in my Franklin planner, like on Thursday, whatever it was. The businesswoman. And so I, my that's the only table. reason we got that meeting. And I think that's why he was a little bit like, hey, I got 40, because he really wasn't meeting with couples anymore. <laughs> but um, all that to say, um, I was the tougher person in that meeting. My heart was really hard. His heart was broken. He was aware of the situation, and he was genuinely broken over it. And, um, but I was sitting there, and I was, you know, the, what, the thing that I will say if you're counseling other couples too, this owning each person having to own their part, it's so easy to sometimes just say, well, yeah, well, boy, yeah, he's a big rotten sinner, you know. The truth is, in every situation, it, both people have contributed to this breakdown, and you really need to make, you know, both of you need to own it. And in this case, I was the harder person. Like, I had to. He wanted to know how I had contributed to the breakdown, and I was getting angry at the question because it was kind of like, are you trying to say I caused this? And, uh, you know, but then there was that part of me where I also knew what he was getting at was, uh, did I, I had sinned too, and I knew it. Like, I knew I had sin in my life. Um, I knew I had, had contributed, but I just didn't want to talk about it that day. Like, I wanted to talk about him Spotlight. and get my, I think the Bible says I have grounds for divorce, right? You know, that's really what I had gone there for. 
but thank God he he pressured me and I didn't I, I wasn't happy I was I went from being like I can remember just being angry and then all of a sudden being like oh all right I, I know okay I know I'm a sinner I know I have issues um, but I did I had to own that I you know even things like before we got married I remember this one really he had said um, so did you guys um, you know, you were you dated all the way through, you know, high school, college. And yeah, this is really bad. Yeah, he asked if we'd had sex before marriage, and <laughs> I remember looking at him like, "What did you just ask me?" I was so mad, and I can just remember saying, "Well, you know, I married him, and I can't say that about too many other people I knew." At the, you know, I had this whole justification system where I had kind of thought, "Oh, I married the guy, right?" Um, and then he said, "I'll never forget," and I saw the smoke coming out of her ears. Well, then you said it was okay. To break the marriage vow. Or no, yeah, he said, you said, so in other words, you, you, you sent the message that it's okay to have sex outside of marriage. And I was like, I did not. <laughs> I never said that. I would never say that. And I can remember just sitting there, but then, and he goes, well, you know, actions speak louder than words. Like, he was hard on me. But he knew I was like, I was fighting this thing. And I was hard-hearted. And I had to be broken. And thank God mm. it happened. And if had that not happened... We could have walked out of there. One person would have been saved, and I'd have, you know, maybe later on. Obviously, I think the Lord had a plan for me. Obviously, but um, I was not—I was the harder person in that situation. So. Yeah, and as I think about this, you know, another—we're going to give you some toolbox or some tools to put in the toolbox. The first tool is hard heart, soft heart. Is your heart hard? Is it soft? And so, what's a hard heart? Well, the Bible talks about what a hard heart is. It's—it's it's unresponsive. It's unrepentant. And we all know people, whether that's us. And part of this is, hey, I want to invest in you so that you can invest in others. That's part of the marriage that, that you know, we got to stand up for marriages. And so the hard heart is the one that blames. The hard heart is the one that blame shifts. The hard heart, I think we all know what that is because we've been there. The soft heart, it's the one that's open. It's the one that's humble. It's the one that is going to take truth and, and own their part without being forced. And the hardest thing is when a hard heart and a soft heart follow this, they, that's what was in the meeting. That heart went from hard to soft. And so two soft hearts, that's what we always look for in a marriage when we're doing any counseling, are both hearts soft. And if they're not, this isn't going anywhere. It's not going anywhere good. It's not going to be restorative. And the biggest problem that we see is when a hard heart and a soft heart can't come together then, what happens next? This heart becomes hard. We've seen this heart become soft. And it, the, timing the timing is everything. And so we've got to look at each other, and we do need to own our part to recognize and have a soft heart. Maybe you're thinking, well, I did own my part. Well, did you verbalize it? I've counseled many who didn't, you know. I mean, there's a lot of couples. It's second marriages. It's... I mean, that's, and again, you know, no judgment here. Hey, did you learn the lesson? Well, I did own my part. Well, did you verbalize it? I've counseled many who don't. There was one man in our church, I'll never forget. And, and I'm like, I don't think you owned it with your wife. And he lived in Hinsdale. I mean, it's a big suburb, the big house. He had the big job. Well, I bought her this. I did this for her. I did this. And uh, it led to a divorce. Ten years later, after he became a Christian, I said, you need to verbalize how you contributed to the breakdown in the marriage. And you know, I'll give this guy credit, man. It went from hard heart to soft. He wrote the letter to her. Did you learn from it? 
Did you verbalize it? Didn't you learn from it? I remember a woman who was dating a guy at work, Christian couple. She was dating a doctor. She was a nurse. She was married. That's the guy who broke up their marriage. They wanted to get married. They came to our church. What, what did we do? It, it's like, I made her break up with this guy. I'll never forget, I met with him and said, no, you got to break up with her. And she's got to go back and work this out. And you know what? To surprise, she did. So what do you need to do to change, to own each part of the problem and the breakdown? Because you need to learn from it. Third lesson for us, there's going to be four. This is an important one. We each need to make the changes necessary. That's where it all happens. So the change has got to happen, and that's what happens when the change doesn't happen, there's going to be issues. The change that is necessary to build the trust and assure our love for one another. That's where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, and in our case, um, you know, there were some pretty drastic changes that needed to happen for us to have a, a fighting chance. One of obvious ones where, you know, a relationship needed to end. But Ron even went so far as um, he, he quit his job and got a different, completely different job. And part of it was this was a, had been a work person, you know? And so for me to have to sit around every day and wonder what's going on in the lunchroom or what's, you know what I mean? Like, um, and I, I remember I never asked him to do that, but he, because he was genuinely repentant and genuinely trying to, to, to see what God would want him to do, um, he was able to make that change. And, and that's one thing that, is awesome about some of the like because that was what I was looking for. I needed to see some things change for me to, tr you know, we were trying to build back this trust thing, right. and um, God is awesome because when when we genuinely repent, action should follow. There should be a change in whether it's conduct, things you're doing, places you're going, people you're seeing, or even just character, the way you're treating people, the way you're responding to, you know, frustrations, the way you're. Um, talking to one another. So um, the good thing is there's fruits of repentance, and then there's also fruits of forgiveness. So likewise, on, on my part, I needed to see change in him, but I also, um, once I forgave Ron, I needed to not, there's, you know, three, we would say three things that you don't want to do when once you've been forgiven. One of them is I don't want to be talking about it to other people. So um, it wasn't going to be good for me to go around telling everybody, everything that happened and how hurt I was and Ron did this and da 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 um, that's not that's not a fruit of forgiveness. A fruit of forgiveness is saying, you know, Jesus isn't sticking it in my face every day, everything I've done wrong and I'm thankful for that. Like it's hard to move forward if you're constantly berated. That's what the enemy does, right? The accuser. And so we don't want to bring it up to other people. And we gotta be careful too. Well I just did it for prayer. <laughs> did you? I just think we got to be discreet and we got to be selective, and that's a really important thing. Mm -hmm. um, don't bring it up to the person that, that hurt. You know, if you've forgiven them, you don't want to continually stick it in their face. So in my case, for me to constantly even be bringing up to Ron and rehashing and rehashing, I remember, um, but then yet you still have this process going on, like you still are, you know, healing from her. Um, but the third thing is, like, don't bring it up to yourself too much. And I can remember that battle. Um, and sometimes some of us, that is our worst battle. Yeah. Because we'll sit there and we have forgiven, and then, but then it'll come to mind again, right? right? And the next thing you know, boy, how much? I've just spent five minutes dwelling on that again, mm -hmm. you know? 
And sometimes it is something you know you have forgiven, but then all of a sudden it comes back, right? And now you're thinking about that again. Well, like, no, I have, I've forgiven that. Like, I've forgiven that. So in my case, in the early stages when there was still, it was kind of raw and it was, it was still hurting from, from what had happened, I can remember actually I would drive in uh, to work and sometimes I would sit in that parking garage and I would just be like, God is the person that I can bring it up to. So rather than bring it up to others, bring it up to him, bring it up to myself, bring it up to God because he's the one that never gets you know tired he's not going to condemn you he doesn't judge you for that he knows you're in that process and so I would literally sometimes it, it, I felt like I had a plate of just like garbage that I would just kept giving to him and I can remember like it would start to get a little better because then I'd be like okay tomorrow I'm going to give you something really good <laughs> like it's not going to be garbage it's not going to forever be garbage but I started getting that light that I knew like okay this is it's changing it's getting better and so we need to give each other the time you know for that healing um but then there's a way to the fruits of forgiveness there's a way to handle it to where you're not um taking one step up two steps back because it's easy to do that sometimes when you're in the, in the middle of it and uh, so let's teach an equation that helped us and I hope it'll help you want to put some tools in your hand to not only help you know in your relationship but to help other spouses um, this is the equation that helps rebuild trust. It's the trust rebuilding equation. CB over T. What's CB? Well, that's simply change behavior. So that's the change that we're talking about. That's the fruit of repentance and that Jody's talking about, that there's going to be some changes that are going to take place. And those changes might be small. We've got to look for those changes. They might be big. I mean, in my case, God freed me, and I don't know. Maybe your testimony is like mine. It was like, it was a dire situation. I could point to the time of the day, and man, God freed me some things that I couldn't be freed from myself. I didn't, I, I didn't believe it. But then as Christians, sanctification, personal sanctification, that what, it, it, over time, you know, maybe some of those things are creeping back. That's the old life. We gotta be careful, but what changes need to happen? And so there needs to be some change in behavior, and the T is simply time. So you need to see change happen over time to rebuild the relationship. I mean, we do the same thing with our kids, do we not? It's just like, hey, if they do something wrong, and then it, you know, it's like you, you punish them, you do this, then you need to see the change of behavior over time. It's the same thing with us. So what's important to this, though, is reassurance as you're working this out. Exactly. And you know, I needed to change too because I remember just, you know, my issue being that my priority was work and um, I had not, Ron is definitely second, secondary. I had not put him first as primary, you know, my relationship ahead of my job and stuff like that. And um, I remember having to start to make decisions of like, maybe I'll, I'm going to actually try to get home before Ron today because <laughs> he took the train in and I would like live really close, but I used to wait till the second that I could, you know, oh, are you almost home yet? You know, because I was work, 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 work. I never thought to ever just like get home ahead of him and like do something nice, like, you know, make start dinner before he gets there, things like that. But those are, I just remember having to make decisions myself about um, he needed to see me change, but I, but I got encouraged because I was seeing him change. And then it's like, well, I want to change too, you know, and so then um, that, that was a, another fruit of that. Um, but as far as reassurance, one thing that really helped in the healing process and with this loving unconditionally and being patient and kind toward one another was um, just getting reassured from Ron. And I can remember early on, um, he would just tell me on a pretty regular basis, like, hey, you know, I'm faithful to you. Um, this is good, you know, 
you're the only person for me, this sort of thing. And I can remember um, just that they would help me. It would just put my mind at ease again. And it was like they were just healing words. And then sometimes I needed to ask for it, like this maybe a month or two gone by. And then, you know, but not all the time kind of thing, but to ask for that, those reassuring words that you need to hear, just that in our case, our commitment had been broken. And so to re-verbalize his commitment to me was something that was really healing, I would say. And even just, you know, you say, well, man, that's the bottom fell out. You know, there's, we need to verbalize and reaffirm our love for each other in the little thing. I mean, that's such an important thing. So how long does it take to rebuild trust? It's a legitimate question. I mean, think about that for a moment. Okay, for you guys, well, how long does it take? Well, we learned this, that the person offended gets to set the time schedule, not the offender. So that's an important thing. The equation that it's not an exact science, but it's about half of the amount of time. So if the offense was going on for four months, it may take two months to get it restored. If the offense went on for two years, it may take a whole year for you to finally, and these words of affirmation and assurance, and what happens usually as they see the guy, and that's a point like you guys, but the guy, I'll yeah, point to all of the guys, that, <laughs> that with the guys, we usually like to jump over it faster. It's all set, it's okay. And, and we need to just be really extremely careful I remember when our pastor said to us, in the midst of the worst night of our life, after he's counseling us in this meeting, he said, what a blessing that you've only been had this problem for a short time. <laughs> blessing? <laughs> what planet are you on, okay? But now think about it. it. <laughs> I'm just, not just, you know, I'm not going to call a time out, but like what is the issue that, you know, seems to reoccur in your own relationship? You know, let's make this real, I mean. You know, we just bared our hearts to you. I mean, what, what's the issue that keeps reoccurring? And is your heart soft or is it hard? Have you slipped into trust has kind of been broken and kind of violated? And how long is it going to take? There needs to be some change in things that happen. Tim Keller, I love how he says it. He talks about like this. He says, the reason that marriage is so painful and yet so wonderful is because it is a reflection of the gospel, which is painful and wonderful at once. The gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe, yet at the very same time we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This is the only kind of relationship that will really transform us. Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us but keeps us in denial of our flaws. Think about that. Love without truth, it's just sentimental. Truth without love, it's harshness. It gives us information but keeps us in denial of our flaws. Truth without love is harshness, and truth, love without truth is sentimental. He goes on to say, God's saving love is, however, in Christ, both marked by radical truthfulness about who we are and also radical unconditional commitment to us. The merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth apart from ourselves and repent. The conviction and repentance moves us to cling to and rest in God's grace and God's holiness. I mean, what a picture of that perfect love that God has for us. So the last lesson of loving unconditionally, we each need to love out of the overflow of God's love. That's how we need to love it. It needs to be out of the overflow of what he's doing. That's the only way you can do it. God continues to build unto us and continues to fill us 
the, think of the triangle. It's like as we get close to him, it's like this. I'm searching for a glass really quick. See one right here. Let's just, just grab this for a moment, just have a little fun. So it's kind of like this. This is how we feel most often. It's like we're empty, we don't, you know, and, and God fills us. And we're thankful for that, and he fills us. And we're thankful for that, and he fills us. And we're thankful for that. I'm just get in front of you. Yeah, it's a big glass. But this is what happens. He fills us. Get wet. He feels us. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about some of the answers you've been given, and I'm just a little concerned. But listen, he fills us to the amount of overflow, does he not? Can I get an amen? Yeah. I mean, John 15, 5, apart from him, I can't do nothing. He fills us. Exactly. And, and so, well, see, apart from him, I can't do nothing. What do you mean? I, I, I've built a business. I, I know happy marriages that are more happy than some Christians. No, things that are going to last for eternity. That's what he's talking about. And he fills us. But this is what happens in our marriage, in our life, at our jobs, is we just get bumped around, don't we? We just get bumped around. Sorry, you don't own this place. Who cares? You just, you just, it's just like, but isn't that what's happening? And it's happening with the people that we love. I mean, that's what I was doing. And our glasses were empty, man. But then what is the beauty of the gospel? He just continued. There's no more water. He just he just continues, doesn't he? And it happens again. That's what we mean when we say we each need to love out of the overflow of God's love. So the question that we're going to end on in this session is, is there an overflow? I mean, that's the real thing. And so, you know, we can draw as many triangles as we want. Hey, get up there. Hey, man, is there an overflow of God's love and mercy? Because if there's not then guess what, man? You're going to go through a dry season and, and, and you're, going to, you know, you're, going to, you're going to be empty. But that's when he needs to fill. And that's the beauty of the closeness in the relationship that you have with him as you build your life on the rock. I love how Catherine Ann Porter says it. She's a writer. She says, love must be learned and learned and learned again. There is no end to it. Think about that. We're never going to know what it means. We have to learn how to love our spouse in that season, in that changing season, in that time. I mean, maybe you're like us. You got two kids, one last one in college. Two of them got married in the same summer. Oh, my gosh. I planned these two weddings. It was unbelievable. You did get involved. <laughs> I do I get involved in everything. No, stop. And, but what I'm saying is through each of the seasons of our kids' life, and I know just meeting some of you already, it's like, man, I got you know, little kids. or we got the little. It's just like you're going to learn to love over and over again through the disappointments and through the joys with your spouse, with your kids, with the people that are most important. But then she says this in the quote. She says, hate needs no instruction, but only waits to be provoked. Think about that in our life and what's happening in our world with the tension racially and what's happening in our, you know, we're seeing it. Like, like hatred is in you. It just needs to be provoked. But love, it, we don't have it naturally. It has to be learned. So did you catch it? We're never to stop learning how to love. But for the Christian, our love is an overflow of his love. Exactly. And so for homework, this is our homework. We're just going to ask you before tomorrow that you would read 1 Corinthians 13. It's a great passage on love. 
that you would review these lessons that we talked about and, and, and discuss them, maybe on the way home, and that there's a marriage assessment. I think it's actually in your book that you would take the marriage assessment and just have an opportunity just to kind of see where you're at. And so that's session one and two, choosing to grow spiritually, choosing to love unconditionally. Father, I just ask you for your grace and your mercy to see you to continue to flow. And I just thank you for um, just a good night that we can be together, that we can learn from your word, that we can grow together because Lord, we want to make the choices that are necessary <coughs> daily to tighten the marriage knot. And I just pray you would give us the strength, Lord, to build into each other, to love, and to grow spiritually. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.